0: For what cause would you be prepared to suffer or even to die? I wonder what comes to mind, if anything at all, in our experience. Have that in mind, please, as we uh, read Ephesians chapter 3, the opening section of Ephesians chapter 3 together. This is a continuation of our work through uh, the letter by Paul to the Church of God in Ephesus, and he's given us glorious things in chapters 1 and 2 about the eternal working of God to save a people for himself. And then in chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says, For this reason, so because of what has come before, he says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then your Bible probably has a dash. He then gets slightly diverted off what he was going to tell us. So you're going to have to wait till next week when he says again in verse 14, just go there with me. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father. And he prays a prayer to God for the people in Ephesus that they would have the strength to understand these things and to have Christ dwelling in their hearts. That's not my topic for today. So Paul was about to say that because he said in three verse one, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you, that triggered something in his mind which then gives us what we're reading today down to verse 13. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given." to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf for they are for your glory. Paul is triggered into saying something else as he was about to tell us that he bows his knees and he's in prayer to God because of the great things that he has come to understand. He wants the saints in the church of God in Ephesus to know the same things. He says for this reason I bow my knees. We'll get there next week. But as he says this phrase, I Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. I can imagine him sitting there and he stops. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of these people to whom I'm writing. He was in prison when he was writing his letters and this was all part of God's plan that this great evangelist and teacher would have periods of time when he would be incarcerated. So that he could write this, so that God's word could become complete for us and we could understand the greatness of God's purposes. Did you notice the last verse of our section down to verse 13? He says to them, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart of my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Therefore, do not lose heart because of my tribulations. They are your glory. So this sits at the, as bookends in a sense uh, with the section in between. And Paul is reminded himself in the moment of writing, as guided by the Spirit, into the responsibility to which he has been called and commissioned. And in discharging that call and that commission, it is meant that he is in incarceration. He's in prison. He's in physical um, captivity, most likely bound and shackled. And he's in the discomfort of all of that, along with all of the other sufferings that's the word tribulations the sufferings that he's had to endure as people would vent their frustration and their anger and their hatred at him preaching Christ. He's gone through all of that. He knows that it's all worthwhile because it's for the glory of those to whom he's writing. He realizes that his call from God and his commissioning from God is for the benefit of others. And he will lay down his life for that. What cause or passion in our lives would mean that we would endure the same suffering to the point of death? I'm hoping that as we read again and just consider as we work through it what Paul says here, we'll have the same sense of Our calling and commissioning. Paul's was unique, as was that of the other apostles and the New Testament prophets. But the principles apply because we have been given something of immense value that is for the benefit of others, that they may enjoy glory too. What's the glory there? It's not the glory of being a wonderful human being. It's the glory of God that can only be experienced by those who have fallen short of God's glory as sinners in Christ Jesus, the Saviour. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart. For this reason, he was saying that he was going to bow his knees. But then he says this, verse 2, You've heard of my stewardship of God's grace which was given me for you. He realised that he had received from God something of God's grace. Which was actually the message of god's grace bound up in christ jesus and he has spent the previous two chapters as we have it divided in our bibles to explain the wonderful eternal workings of god to save us particularly writing to these people but it applies to us because we have it in god's word we thought last week From the section immediately prior, from Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22, he spoke about the Gentiles, those who were not Jews. He called them far off and then described them as being separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Absolutely abject poverty and inability to do anything about it. But it just didn't apply to the Gentiles. It applied to the Jews too as sinners all in the same predicament before God as sinners so far short of God's glory in need of the forgiveness of sins which could not be achieved but would only come because God would intervene. He spoke about those Gentiles and those Jews far off being brought together into the metaphor he uses here of the body we had that at the end of chapter 1 He says, Christ is head over the church, which is his body. And he says, he uses that metaphor to describe all those believers, Jews and Gentiles, sinners before God, but saved by grace through faith in the one that God has provided, Christ Jesus, the Savior, who in his perfection gave himself as the sacrifice to God at Calvary and for us on the cross. His life given so that. Our death might be defeated and we might be given life. He speaks of that. Those who exercise that faith are now part of this, the body. Reconciled to God. And it means, therefore, that using this metaphor, he speaks of it also in in 1 Corinthians 12 and in other places too. He speaks of the body metaphor as a a unit, an, an organism that works when it's working well in a unity. So he says, as we thought last week, it removes all cultural, racial, political, socioeconomic uh, boundaries and divisions that there might be, which is a natural thing in humanity, natural tendency for division, because we gravitate to that which we prefer or are similar to. God has come in and in his grace has brought people to the same level and has said, you're all sinners, regardless of your upbringing, your race, your heritage, your circumstances, and you can do nothing about it. But I have done it all in Christ. And this is my purpose and my plan from before the creation of the world. This is what Paul has been saying. This church, the body of Christ, an invisible unity of uh, the believers together joined with Christ, viewed by God, down the ages from the day of Pentecost until the present day and the people that are putting their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today are being added into this. This church, as the Lord Jesus described it in Matthew 16, as the church against which the gates of Hades will not prevail, death has no victory because we've been given eternal life. That's what Paul has been saying. But we also saw that that leveling of everything, is to be seen in the lives and the service of believers today in churches of God. And in the latter few verses of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul has introduced another metaphor that of the house of God or the temple of God. And he says that believers built on the foundation of the apostles and the New Testament prophets, that which Christ had given and was confirmed in miraculous ways before the New Testament was complete, that teaching was the foundation of their service together. And there was no place for cultural, religious, racial, socioeconomic division in that at all. The people were to gather in this church of God and enjoy the things of God and the service of God together. But more than that, the language speaks of a church of God in one place being joined with another church of God in another place and joined with another church of God in another place. The whole building together forming the temple So there's one house for God. Individual believers built into it. Seen locally in their setting in a a church of God in Manchester. Church of God in Ephesus. Church of God in Liverpool. But together, seen by God and seen by us. Who live according to the foundation, teaching. Who come to Christ as the cornerstone. Who then form this one house for God where he says he is pleased to dwell in his spirit. That's the reason that Paul's on his knees asking God that the people in Ephesus would know this because he knows that it would change their lives as it has changed his. And then he flicks to, because he's been triggered by this mention of himself as the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Yes, he's in physical captivity, um, but he's a bond slave to Christ. Christ has met him and in his experience says, you're mine. The risen Lord Jesus met him and he was absolutely convinced in that moment that Christ was the saviour. And not only that, Christ in that salvation moment said to him as well, something we'll come to in a moment, I have this for you to do. And I believe God does the same thing with every believer today and we've had it already in Ephesians Saved by grace, through faith, not of yourselves as the gift of God, then that we might do the good works that God has prepared beforehand. There's, there's not just this receiving of salvation and eternal life, but this call and commission that comes with it to live for God's glory. And he describes it as a mystery. It takes us back to Ephesians 1 verses 8 and 10. I'm just going to read these to you. Can flick back if you want. Where Paul says, In all wisdom and insight, God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, that's Christ, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So Paul has already said, In the beginning, there's a mystery, and I know what the mystery is. It's the mystery of God's will, which is that in Christ Jesus, he will and has expressed the kind intention of who he is, his heart, in Christ Jesus. And because Christ is the one in whom his kind intention has been expressed, Christ is the one who will have the preeminence over all things, and all things will be summed up in him in a future day. Christ should be everything for the believer now. And for those that are gathered together in churches of God to Christ, the cornerstone, on the foundation of his teaching which is given through the apostles and the prophets, he should be central over everything. Because God has him as central to everything. God the Son is the means by which that the grace and the forgiveness of God has come. To humanity and paul says it's a mystery and the word mystery here means something different from how we would use it today the greek um, word mysterion um, means uh, something that's that is a secret knowledge but you're let into that knowledge through a process of initiation so it's like the preserve of of, uh, of a group and you can come into the knowledge of this Um, we'll, we'll share this secret with you. That is the sense of the word, as it would have been used in classical Greek and in other places in the New Testament as well. So Paul is saying here that this mystery of his will from Ephesians 1 and the mystery that he refers to here, verse 3, the revelation that was made known to me, the mystery. It was made known to me, this mystery, and he calls it then the mystery of Christ. And I forgot to say that's the title for our talk today, the mystery of Christ. It's not a mystery in the sense that we use it. It's a mystery in that in God's eternal purpose and plan, He has been working through the ages of time to bring it to a point where He would reveal the grandeur of His purposes of grace in the person of His Son, and then would reveal yet more for those believers to lay hold of as their hope for what is yet to come in Christ Jesus, who will be over all things. Now, You then go to Paul's writings in Corinthians. Uh, It's 1 Corinthians 15, isn't it, where he says there that all things will be subjected to Christ. And then Christ will subject himself to the one who subjected those things to him so that God may be all in all. This is all about God. And we then come into his purpose and plan, the kind intention of his will, the mystery that we're brought into. Paul says, I'm a prisoner I remember why I'm a prisoner because this mystery has been revealed to me the wonder of who God is and his working in Christ Jesus has been made known to me and he has charged me with the responsibility to go to the Gentiles in particular and to share it so that you may enjoy glory too it's a mystery and it's the mystery of Christ It actually is defined in verse 6, isn't it? If you look at verse 6, he says to be specific, which are words inserted in the New American Standard Version, just to give the sense of the flow. The Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He says that's the mystery of Christ. And he says I've been given an understanding, the revealing of this, which is the grace of God. God has in his grace revealed this to me. And he's revealing it to the the other apostles. And he's revealing it and revealing it and revealing it to all those who come to faith. That they, by the Spirit's indwelling and his help, as Paul says, he wouldn't have known this if it had not been for the work of the Spirit. So that we also might lay hold of the wonder of this truth and therefore live an entirely different life than we lived before. And if we grasp it, that it's not just for us. But actually, it's for everybody else. Then our lives will look entirely different, I suggest, as Paul's did. He lists in 2 Corinthians all of the sufferings that he went through as an apostle. Discharging that which God had called him to. None of us are even close to it. And Paul had a specific calling. But we in our society have a calling too, that comes with the salvation that is ours. So the mystery is revealed and a commission is received. He said uh, early in chapter three here, he said, the mystery was revealed to Christ's holy apostles and prophets, those are the New Testament prophets which were required um, to confirm the teaching of the apostles. They would receive something from God about future events Uh, which would then confirm to people that what the apostles had been saying could be trusted, until we have, as we have it today, the fullness of the word of God in its entirety. Listen to this, that Paul recounts in Acts 26, on the third occasion when he has opportunity to speak uh, of his experience on the road to Damascus, when he is the one who was the persecutor of the church of God, was brought to his face on the ground in the dust, blinded by the glory of the risen Saviour. And he hears this, and it seems as though it takes him time because it's the third time he's speaking about it when he actually shares this. He says, this is what the Lord said to me, get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, But also to the things in which I will appear to you. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. If you're lying in your face in the dust, blinded, and you hear that from the Saviour, what would you do? You would get up and stand on your feet. You get up because God has promised. Christ has promised directly. You will be a minister, a steward. Steward, you have been given this. And I'm going to give you more, Paul. What you have seen in that moment before you were blinded of me, the exalted, risen Christ, the one who is the saviour of the world, what you've seen you're going to speak of, but you're going to speak of more because I'm going to reveal it to you. And Paul had an experience I think, repeatedly in his early uh, years of his um, salvation and his um, then going out as a preacher of a special revelation from Christ. We get that from other writings as well. You know, Peter and the other apostles, they had received, they had received the same commission to go. We say it often and refer to it often, the Lord's words in Matthew 28. go into all the world. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go into the world make disciples of all men baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and teaching them to observe all things that i've commanded you and we just assume that the apostles um, who were with the lord knew that that meant they were going to go to the ends of the world they actually i think for probably what seems like seven to ten years after the lord's ascension were thinking that that meant they would go to the end of the world to the jews because in those early formative years of the churches of God the churches were almost exclusively in fact I would say exclusively made up of converted Jews and it takes the Lord's intervention in Peter's experience and that um, you remember the time in Acts 10 where he receives that vision from the Lord and at the same time Cornelius has had something he's a Roman centurion a Gentile hated by the Jewish people because he's a Roman and Peter is told you will go with the men at that Man has sent, and you will preach the gospel to him, and he'll come to faith. Peter's like, What? And he goes and he does it with his companions, and they see the Holy Spirit come to confirm that God is working not just with Jews, but also with Gentiles. And when Peter comes back, he has to explain himself to the leadership in Jerusalem. And they're convinced then that this is God's purpose. So I think for seven to ten years, They've been working on this basis. And I I can't fit the chronology together exactly because we're not given the dates. But best guesses, I think that the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus and that occasion when Peter went to see Cornelius happened almost at the same time. So you have God saying, this is the moment now. That which is stabilized in Jerusalem and in Judea and a little bit further into Samaria, that which is stabilized, now this is ready to go. And it's not just limited to the Jews. And he says to Paul, you will go to the Gentiles. Now we see Paul throughout Acts. He always goes to the synagogues. And if there's rejection in the synagogues, he goes to the Gentiles. And the majority of his time is spent with the Gentiles. That's Paul's particular commission. It's a stewardship. Stewardship means you receive something. um, And you're discharged with the duty to do with it what you receive. Actually, it's interesting that the word here for stewardship and administration is the same word. When you're thinking of administration, think of um, US Presidencies. That's the sense of administration. We speak of the Bush administration or the Obama uh, administration. They're different because there's a a man who has, in a sense, top spot and decisions and uh, laws and various things are passed under that administration. That's the sense of how we should understand this. Paul is saying there's a period of time and it's under the authority of God and under the authority of Christ. We have we are living in this administration, this dispensation. Same word, dispensation. Um, we're living in this and we have a stewardship within that. Because we're with Christ. And being with him means that we have to discharge responsibility which is to share this revealed mystery to those who need to hear it. Paul said this in Colossians. I'm having to dip into Colossians just to drive this point home. He said this, Colossians 1.25, I was made a minister according to the stewardship of God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints." to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there's another definition of the mystery that we have from Colossians. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, I have been called to be a minister, to discharge the stewardship that I've been given, so that I might fully preach the word of God. Paul's was particular. I wonder if for us too, with our particular salvation, which is ours in Christ Jesus, there comes also a particular call and commission to have a stewardship that then we will be faithful in discharging. Paul was saying it was for the benefit of, and for the glory of those to whom he was writing. And Paul would step back from. Uh, and think about the church of God in Ephesus. And the people that he knew that made that. He wasn't thinking in a, in a way of pride about them. Oh, it's all because of my work. They're there breaking bread this morning. None of that at all. It was because he was the one on behalf of Christ. Who was speaking and had spoken the things of the mystery, of the kind intention of God's will, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory, that he shared all of that, that he knew those people were there. It wasn't him. It was God's working through him as helped and strengthened by the Spirit. Did you notice the phrase as well, um, that this revelation of the mystery was given to the apostles and uh, to the prophets. The Colossian scripture I read to you says it's been also revealed to the saints. So it has been revealed to us, this mystery. God's revealing in his time of his purposes of grace in Christ. But there's another level of being to which there's the revelation of the wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God, Ephesians 3 and 10, is revealed to the angelic powers, it says. Let's read it. So he speaks about sharing the mystery with unbelievers so they might come into the understanding of the mystery, which is God's kind intention of his will in Christ. So that, verse 10, the manifold wisdom, manifold means just variegated, just (coughs) so multifaceted, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, that's the church, the body of Christ, all believers, to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. I think when Paul is writing there of the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places, he's speaking of the angelic beings. Both those who honor God in their service and those who with uh, Lucifer are against him. Paul later in Ephesians 6 will say that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the principalities and the powers. Same language. God, in his wisdom, in his time, in his grace, is showing to a created order that we don't see, though sometimes we entertain angels unawares, um, what we don't see in the spiritual realm. God is showing through the church the body of Christ, as another one comes to faith, and another one comes to faith, he's showing that Christ is over all. That helps me to understand when Satan is after the Lord Jesus and the persecution that he brings about in the persecution of the Lord Jesus as he lives, Satan doesn't know what's coming. And actually he thinks as the Lord is going to his death, How has this happened? <laughs> he can't imagine I don't want to put myself in his shoes, but let's just for a moment. And then the Lord is raised from the dead. What does that mean? And then there's the confirmation of the salvation of the apostles and the disciples as the Holy Spirit comes to dwell. And then on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 and more probably were saved. And then begins this demonstration of the wisdom and the majesty and the glory of God, which is over and above everything. And it silences Satan. And those they are against. And what do they do? They then go and try and spoil that. Because they know the end is coming. It's a progressive revelation. Not only to humanity, but also to the angelic order. And the angels by, in God's presence, who were looking on as the Lord was crucified, were wondering... What is happening? Then they come into an understanding of God's purposes from all of eternity that he'd kept hidden, that he would reveal it in his time. Wonderful. Now I don't want us to finish without this. He speaks. What verse is it? I didn't note the verse down. Verse 8. Paul says to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. What grace? The grace of the understanding, the revealing of the purposes of God for the benefit of others, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. This is what it is that Paul was given to be a steward with. It's what we've been given, an understanding of the greatness of God's purposes and his grace Salvation, redemption, adoption, all the things that are there in Ephesians 1. The gathering of people to God through Christ. But not only that, the expression of that unity that delights the heart of God seen in churches of God today. That's there in Ephesians 2. He says, God in his grace has given this. He's given it. He's given it to us too. The unfathomable, I can't even say it. Riches of Christ, riches that can't be fathomed, it's easier. The word actually means a track that you would see going off into the distance and you'd like to go and explore it, and you do. And then you realise the track keeps going, and then you keep going, and then you keep going. The track never ends. I imagine there are endless tracks like that in the great mountain ranges on our earth. But there's no end to the riches of Christ Jesus. So when it comes to us having a stewardship of something, we have the richest of resource from which to share with unbelievers and with believers. We should never be lost for words. We shouldn't. But I would say we are, if we're not in it enough to know it. And it was for that reason, and David's gonna get there next week. Paul then says, for this reason, I'm on my knees for you, that you'll be strengthened to have Christ in you so that you know him in such a way that you can speak of him and his glory. The mystery revealed, the commission received, the riches of Christ given now to share for the benefit of others, but assured to us forever because we're fellow heirs, remember and tribulation suffering endured. That was Paul's experience. It was the apostle's experience. For the saints in the churches of God, particularly those in Rome. You imagine it, Nero in his wickedness. The city burns and he thinks, right, we'll just use the Christians as scapegoats for this. And they go through the worst of suffering for the name of Christ. And in so doing, others are reached. For the glory of God. That's the wonderful working of God. A prisoner of Christ Jesus, if you think about it, we are all His prisoners. Are we captivated by Him so that our lives will be lived in such a way that it's always for the benefit of others? Let's have a prayer. Our God, when we come to your word. Sometimes we're left breathless the unfathomable riches of Christ for eternity we will be wondering at the grandeur of your grace the majesty of the one who's on the throne with you the saviour you have given for mankind who is our saviour and the one who has asked us then to go and to share that which you have revealed to us in him with other people so they may also enjoy glory so please challenge us with this help us as we would apply ourselves to searching out that which is unsearchable you reveal and yet there's more you reveal and yet there's more our God, there is none like you so we ask you for grace and help and strength to discharge that responsibility that commission you have given to us And delight us all the while. Whatever the circumstances of life might be. That you will be glorified. And others will come to glory with us. Help us please we pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.